The first reading is from Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 27 to 34. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will plant the house of Israel and the house of Judah with the offspring of men and of animals. Just as I watched over them to uproot and tear down and to overthrow, destroy and bring disaster, so I will watch over them to build and to plant, declares the Lord. In those days, people will no longer say, the fathers have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. Instead, everyone will die for his own sin. Whoever eats sour grapes, his own teeth will be set on edge. The time is coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their forefathers when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I'll put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will a man teach his neighbor or a man his brother saying, know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and I'll remember their sins no more. This is the word of the Lord. And the second reading is from 2 Timothy, chapter 3. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, and how, from infancy, you have been able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his approaching and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season, correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they'll gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you, keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable to you, O Lord, this day. Amen. I've just returned from holiday, and I have been mindful whilst enjoying a relaxing break in Dorset that I needed to prepare this talk. 
And in the village where we stayed, the church was open every day. And it was good to have a quiet time each day to lift this talk to God, if only for inspiration. I always have the Bible on my phone, but I decided that I wanted to look at the text in the Bible. Um, unfortunately for me, they had a book sale at the back of the church where I was able to find a Bible. And when I saw it, I noticed it was a good news Bible. And amid all the turmoil that seems to be besetting us at the moment, both politically and socially, it was just a timely and wonderful reminder that God's word is good news. And that as Christians, we just need to focus on this. And I woke up early one morning and I was listening to the radio and there was an interesting program about a very successful art critic um, who gave up a lucrative job and a house in London to become a Roman Catholic priest. And he was 50, so he entered the seminary as a mature student. And he was asked by the interviewer what he hoped to achieve in his calling. And he paused and then replied quite simply to share with people the simple message of just how much God loves us. So two messages, God's word in the Bible is indeed good news and that God does love us so much. And when we look at the text, I'm grateful to Dennis Olson for some insight onto this passage. The book of Jeremiah is dominated by doom and gloom. Jeremiah lived during the latter part of the seventh century and the first part of the sixth century. And during his long ministry, he warned God's people of the catastrophe that was to fall upon the nation because of their idolatry and sin. Now, Jeremiah was a sensitive man who deeply loved his people, and he hated to pronounce judgment on them. In many passages, he spoke with emotion about the things he suffered because God had called him to be a prophet. The Lord of the word was like fire in his heart. He could not keep it back. Yet in the doom and gloom of the book of Jeremiah, there appears a cluster of promises in chapters 30 to 33, which give us a dazzling glimpse of hope. These chapters promise hope for the future, that God will bring his people back from the land of Judah and restore them to a new and faithful people once again. The new covenant passage from Jeremiah 31, 31 to 34 is the key element to a new future that only God can create. The days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. And God promises that this, old, this new covenant will not be like the old covenant that he made with their ancestors. The one that was made on Mount Sinai, based on the law and the Ten Commandments, written on stone, which parents drilled diligently into their children, because this was the law of their religion. That was the word. So what God is promising is that the message will remain the same, to love God, and love our neighbor as God's chosen people in the world, but that the heart will be at the center and not the old heart, which is deeply engraved with an evil intention to rebel against God, 
but with a new heart, engraved with God's written law in God's own handwriting. And that people will obey, not because they are supposed to obey, because they want to obey. Obedience will become habitual and second nature. We will love God and our neighbor because we will know it will please God and because it is the right thing to do. And we remember the text from Matthew, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry and gave you food? Because when we do anything for anyone, we do it for God. So the old covenant stressed one person teaching the faith to another, rigid law learning. But the new covenant stresses God's action, getting inside our hearts and reprogramming our words, actions, habits, and feelings to conform naturally, to become faithful servants of God that he created us to be. Another important item in God's new covenant is a generous forgiveness that wipes the past slate totally clean for all of us. From the least to the greatest, I will forgive their iniquity and remember their sin no more. And we are reminded that we need to forgive generously as God forgives us. So when Peter asks Jesus, how many times do we need to forgive? Seven times, he asks. Jesus, reflecting a new covenant of forgiveness, corrected him. No, 70 times seven, as many times as it is necessary. So Jeremiah's new covenant becomes the basis of the New Testament. And this is most powerfully realized when Jesus celebrates the Passover meal with his disciples. Jesus eats the old Passover meal and recreates it into a new covenant meal. Jesus lifts the Passover cup of wine and proclaims on the eve of his death and eventual resurrection, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, shed for you and all people for the forgiveness of sins. The sacramental meal internalizes the blood and body of Christ in our hearts and bodies, breaks down barriers, levels the field as all are welcomed, and offers forgiveness, even to those disciples who betray, deny, or abandon Jesus when he most needs them. So Jeremiah told us what God has promised, and we know that God fulfilled his promise to us and sent his son Jesus to die to redeem our sins, to be a new covenant between us and God. And as we think about the dark days we are in at the moment, we are reminded how the disciples must have felt when after following Jesus and believing that all their struggles would be over and Jesus would triumph as king, he was betrayed, humiliated, falsely accused, and suffered a most barbaric death. Golden days turned to disaster and they hid, afraid lest they suffer the same fate. They denied they were followers and despaired of the dream that they once had. But Jeremiah's prophecy will come true. God did enter into new covenant with us. He did send his son, who he raised from the dead. And when the enormity of this was finally revealed to his followers, Mary seeing Jesus at the tomb, Jesus appearing on the road to Emmaus, Jesus walking and talking with his followers before he ascended into heaven, we as Christians believe that God is a God who delivers what he promised 
no matter how bleak sometimes can be. Our second reading is Paul's letter to Timothy, consists largely of personal advice to Timothy as a younger colleague and assistant. And the main theme here is endurance. Timothy is advised and encouraged to keep on witnessing faithfully to Jesus Christ, to hold to the teaching of the good news and the Old Testament, to do his duty as teacher and evangelist, all in the face of suffering and opposition. And Timothy is especially warned about the dangers of becoming involved in foolish and ignorant arguments that do no good, but only ruin people who listen to them. And earlier in the book, Paul reminds Timothy, remember Jesus Christ who was raised from death, who was a descendant of David, as is taught in the good news that I preach, because I preach the good news. I suffer and I am chained like a criminal, but the word of God is not in chains. Paul refers to his opponents who are preaching a message contrary to that of the good news of Jesus. And Paul urges Timothy not to be swayed by their version of the gospel that are at odds with the message that has been passed down on from the eyewitnesses of Jesus and from the scripture he received. And I always take great comfort from the beginning of Luke's gospel, which states that he had studied all the accounts and witnesses and has verified it as a true account. And this is certainly good enough for me because I believe what I read in the Bible and we can seek the good news in the words of the Bible and those in authority who interpret us. And that's why as Christians we meet on a Sunday morning to hear the word, to have instruction, to have teaching and just to worship and glorify our God. And it is such a powerful thing to remember that whilst ever we have the Bible, the word of God will not be in chains and will be a source of good news, whatever the everyday turbulence may be around us. And because loving and serving God is our greatest joy, and however harsh our circumstances are, we have a divine gift that cannot be priced. Forecasters tell us of doom and gloom, of good times ahead or times of harshness. But we know that in the simple joy of knowing and serving God, we have something unique. And it is not always easy to stand fast in our faith. The devil sometimes will try to lead us astray. We become demoralized by the chaos of the world. But we're reminded in the third reading in today's lectionary, in which Jesus told us that we should always pray and never give up. And it's the parable of the persistent widow. And there was once a judge in a certain town who didn't fear God and didn't have any respect for people. There was a widow in that town and she came to him, him and said, judge my case, vindicate me against mine enemy. For a long time he refused, but in the end he said to himself, it's true, I don't fear God, I don't have any respect for people, but because this widow is causing me trouble, I will put her case right and vindicate her so that she doesn't end up giving me any more grief. Well, said Jesus, did you hear what this unjust judge said? And don't you think God will see justice done for his chosen ones who shout out to him day and night? Do you suppose he is deliberately delaying? 
Let me tell you, he will vindicate them very quickly. But when the, man when the Son of Man comes, he will find faith on earth. Whilst on the face of it, this parable seems confusing. The judge seems to stand for God. But this judge is unlike, as, as unlike God as possible. He has no respect for God himself and doesn't care whether he does right by his people or not. But the point of the parable is then to say, if even a rotten judge like that can be persuaded to do the right thing by someone who pesters him day and night until something happens, then of course God, who is justice in person and who cares passionately about people, will vindicate them and see that justice is done. Praying to God helps us through hard and dark times and proves to God that we have faith in his justice and mercy and that he is indeed a God who will answer prayers and will right wrongs because, as the priest said at the start of this talk, we as Christians know just how much God loves us. Amen.